the very roots of eating, of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is This is the typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding here. Welcome to Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour with Cooper Cherry. As always, we are sponsored by the People's Institute for Revolutionary Semiotics. Before I introduce today's guest, do you want to mention I have a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash M-U-H-H, and uh, consider throwing me a dollar a month if you're loving the content. This episode will be a part two continuation from one that was begun with Elliot Rosenstock, author of Zizek and the Clinic on Zero Books, and John Zichterman, co-host of the Beep Beep Lettuce podcast. We are wrapping up a conversation that covers pages 169 through 222 of the Wolfie Landstriker translation of Max Stirner's The Unique and Its Property. So this is essentially looking at part two, I, 2.1, Onus, 2.2, The Owner, and 2.2.1, My Power. We'll join the conversation in progress. What movie is it that were the, was it fucking like Ace Ventura or something where he's like, I'm more one than anyone? That yeah, but that's but that yeah, it's a very sterner statement. <laughs> exactly. More in touch with the inus. Yeah, in terms of if everything is for my own sake, what is the people will be like? Well, that's tautological. What's the point? Um, I think there is a when when you are spooked into thinking that you are pure for other, right? There there can be there can be consequences of that, and also knowing yourself as the I, as the as the as the singular point of departure rather than the signifier is also your your geometry will just line up better your your conception of engagement right. with the world will line up better well that's the thing people uh, people want to tell you it'll be more multiple it'll be more multiple because because if you're if you are simply your systemic self and a multiplicity of systemic selves it misses the eye okay yeah 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 but people <laughs> will also want to tell you they'll be like oh, you know, you're making a tautological observation and so that doesn't have any value to like the social or political theory going forward or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, is, is one plus one equals two not tautological? Like two <laughs> ones is two ones, right? Like there's, no, but it has implications. You need to understand yeah. that to be able to do math, to be able to affect the world around you with mathematical ideas. So I think like people looking at like kind of these these claims of sterner and saying like oh those are unremarkable oh those are i think it's that very attitude that makes them remarkable it's like no these are critically under-examined parts of any philosophical system so john my question to you would be um as a favor what do us non-hypocritical egoists who know things are done for our own sake do about people who claim things are because it's for god and they're and it's totally self, there is no self uh, interest involved whatsoever, or the self interest signifier in a Lacanian sense is simply for closed. How do, how do, how do we then thus relate to such hypocrites, AKA 
nearly the entire world. <laughs> I mean, it really, it depends on what you want out of them, right? Like, I think you have to look into yourself and you have to figure out what you want out of people mm-hmm. who don't see things the same way as you. And then you have to go and interact with them in a way that benefits you the most. And I don't, you know, it'd be hard to say what that is because <laughs> like you said, like that, that idea of like, oh, I'm doing this for God or for the nation or for my people or whatever is like so pervasive. It's baked into cultures across the entire globe. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to tell you what the most productive way to interact with that is. I can tell you how I do it, which is um, sarcasm mostly and uh, <laughs> just uh, I- ignoring people whose opinions I don't care about. But uh, I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a better way to handle it. You have to do therapy. You have to do what Elliot does. How, how does one yeah, get, well, say I mean, you, how, say you want, yeah, I mean, how say, do we get the whole world want, into therapy? That's the question. You, well, you don't need the whole, but how do you get one person who say, say they've foreclosed self-interest entirely? What is, what is your relation? Mm-hmm. You know, just hypothetically speaking. <laughs> What is what is what does one do about I mean, I don't know. his difference? My dad you know, is this, like a Christian um, fundamentalist, yeah. And I can't like I can sometimes get him to see kind of bullshit, but he like he just want what he wants to do is it's all edible. He wants to like abdicate his responsibility and have obey the father because he can't right. handle his own radical. Like he refuses to be to acknowledge his eye, must externalize the eye onto I mean, the father. He, yeah. If you want to give people a good the idea of like, to know that kind the of eye getting is at, yeah. I mean, if you want to give people an idea of what we're kind of getting at here without scaring them away with like <laughs> 200 year old authors and like weird German words like Eigentum, uh, there's actually an episode of Friends where Phoebe and Joey try and compete with each other to see who can perform the most selfless task. And they ultimately come to the realization that there is no such thing as a selfless task. Even the most selfless task is still performed as a method of enjoyment. And I watched that, that episode of that TV show when I was like in my teen years. And I've thought about it my, like since I saw it. I've, it's always been on my mind. And yeah. then to, to have these things articulated in like 200-year-old philosophical books and then for me to be thinking about this one, like probably one-off episode of Friends um, feels a little funny, but I've, I've shown it to people and they've been like, well, yeah, yeah, you know, it yeah, makes a good point, you know, because <laughs> uh, I, I think they they really do cap off all of the things. It's like you can give your shirt or your last bit of food to a person on the street who you think needs it more than you, but like you're you're still serving your impulse to be a good yeah. person. Well, and the implication, so that it's so rather than okay, yeah, selfless acts are for your self interest. Okay, cool, full stop. Now I'll forget about it. Who cares? Uh, I think right. the thing to realize is ergo i the i then becomes morphed into into a multitude of forms right so so once that's forgotten the person says oh i see the friends episode and okay cool i yeah sure um the end uh the thing to take from that is that means the i will then be will then appear in various places and just know that the i will appear as logics it will appear as nations it will appear as a million different things. So it, it will, you'll, once it's, once the eye is foreclosed, uh, it becomes the Hydra or you could say not just the Hydra because it's also <laughs> to some extent the world. Right. Um, but know that mm-hmm. ultimately it's the eye with the dynamics of the eye. 
yeah the world is like the world collapses the back into the, the subject you would say well it's like if you foreclose on the eye if you stop looking at it and examining it you're basically just giving it the opportunity to sneak up on you and catch you unawares at any moment and then you're not going to have the conceptual tools to be like this is just one of my desires like what's the best way to manage or achieve or whatever this desire it's just going to be this scary thing cropping up in your thoughts that you're trying not to look at and trying not to look at, but you're still affected by it. You're still, it's still at the foundation of your reasoning, even if you, you know, actively put it out of your mind. And I think people who put desire and, and uh, self-interest out of their mind, it, it makes them incredibly easy to manipulate. Um, and then when you have these large order uh, forms of social control, that are trying to get a grasp on a population, those people are some of the first people that it picks up and end up becoming some of its like most ardent believers and, and followers on faith. Well, they don't realize the eye has been recaptured from them and the people think the eye is they, right? The eye becomes they. And then what the they wants, they follow, um, you know? So if I think I am you and then you have desires in the world and I say, Okay, I have desires in the world. What are my desires, John? Oh, they're to give you $20? Here you go. Not like that. But I mean, <laughs> the, the process is like that, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What's well, like the does... thing about cults? It's like you get into a cult and they kind of like, they'll put you through a therapy session or whatever uh, the fucking Scientologists call their little therapy session things. And it's basically just like a long form, like, like sales session convincing you that your interests are actually the interests of the group and not your yeah. actual interests that you're feeling getting yeah. trapped in the dream of the other yeah be and careful which, of the exactly. dream you're of the for, other you're done for when you're trapped there <laughs> elliot that's funny that you mentioned like <laughs> scientology elliot has a funny take on on dianetics oh yeah well he get into that it's but. like a well, there's no take I have. It's just he took the, the great combination, L. Ron Hubbard took the great combinations of dialectics and cybernetics, right? Just, just the signifier. Right. He doesn't, yeah. I don't think he does it. And right. he doesn't really, he doesn't create a historically linking theory by the thing called Dianetics, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm wondering though, like all this talk of, of the ego and, and I and desire, um, because like in the context, I think we need to maybe show where Sterner diverges from like, like Rand, because Rand says the ego, the human ego is the fountainhead of, or the well, e Rand, man's ego yeah. is, is the fountainhead of human progress. Yeah. So don't understand Rand is a philosopher. Rand is a romanticist and in, and paints an ideal individual. That's, that's all Rand is doing. Right? Yeah. Like you can, you can get lost in an absolutely ridiculous ontology, which is just totally stupid. Yeah. But I mean, to, under, to really understand Ayn Rand is just like what Ayn Rand does is she pitches an individual, uh, paints them with the ideals that she thinks are the best, and that's, that's her egoism, period. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, yeah. Also, cap, blah, 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 capitalism, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, and it's also like it doesn't Rand uh... – Rand takes the concept of individualism broadly, not the actual interest of the self or not now the that, actual material wants of anything, but like a, a romanticized notion of individualism and elevates it above 
the, yeah the actual an objective history. an object again yeah an object that objectivism right i mean that tracks well right. objectivism you know what's so funny is i feel like sartre plagiarized ayn rand because <laughs> i really i swear to god i don't think i don't think i'm incorrect <laughs> here that sartre read ayn rand who was like that's based i'm gonna make something because you know you read the you read his non-dialectical <laughs> take it's like this is just a coffee cup it's not there's no opposite of the coffee cup there's no extension i'm like that's ayn rand 101 it's the immediate objective thing. Existence precedes essence, maybe, right. Ayn Rand might say. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So John, my, my, my main critique of Jean-Paul Sartre might be that he, that he plagiarized Ayn Rand. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's one I hadn't heard before. I'll, that I'll give you that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. That's why, yeah. We, that's why we brought him here, folks. <laughs> there you go. That's right. <laughs> I'll read another bit from, uh, let's see, this is going to be page 177. Onus created new freedom because Onus is the creator of everything as brilliance, a particular Onus, which is always originality, has for a long time been considered the creator of new world historical productions. Onus is the creator. Interesting for him to call brilliance a particular Onus, isn't it? Because it's like saying um, brilliance is, what's really brilliant is a a taking of something into your own property and then and then refashioning it somehow right like brilliance isn't just a uh an insight into the the machinations of the world and a way of going along with them brilliance is some kind of standing in opposition to what had previously been going on even if it's just as, as simple as like a technological yeah. innovation brilliance is different brilliance shines and makes itself different than the surrounding right just a light wise materially wise material all material like <laughs> yeah yeah so there well, has that, to be contradiction right? like brilliance is a it's brilliance is like um it's a reference to light yeah. right? when something is brilliant it's it's shiny it's making itself yeah. distinct and, and noticeable and uh yeah that's that's really yeah. good i think to notice something is a brilliant moment lots no. of chances to get canceled here which i, I, <laughs> I just won't <laughs> please please don't yeah. <laughs> i thought 9 11 was just really brilliant no <laughs> <laughs> it was it was the it was the absolute event <laughs> That will get that'll, you, that'll get you a knock a on the door statement. from the feds, yeah. right? To quote Baudrillard, <laughs> it was the absolute event. That's well, yeah, a, that is not, a, not that, that's it, was, not that it was smart. Yeah, yeah, not that it was smart, but that it was clearly something that broke from broke from the surrounding time and 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 uh, mm -hmm. made itself different, right? It was. Brilliant. It was very disruptive, very innovative. What a disruptor. Osama. Osama's a yeah. real disruptor, honestly. <laughs> no, he really yeah. did. He nine nine eleven was the real the real Silicon Valley innovation. Uh tech gurus have been trying to figure out what made uh Osama bin Laden such a, yeah, well, a disruptor <laughs> of industry. <laughs> oh my god. Was it was it the poke and was it a poke from like was that the real sit getting in? Was that the outside getting in? Or am I Yeah. Maybe a little bit because it's like, you know, you look at the response that the United States had to like 9-11. It's almost like we contracted a social autoimmune disorder. And uh, if you look at like what Osama bin Laden wanted to do with 9-11, he said, like, I will destroy the American economy. Well, he fucking he did. <laughs> like he made us focus on like a, a weird form of imperialism and do a weird kind of internal policing. And it broke down uh 
a lot of our norms and in doing so let's be real he didn't plan to break that like maybe he did that was his osama goal. was like osama was <laughs> like he said i'm going to destroy the american economy and then we got into wars and we did this it's like let's be real he just said stock markets where money is knock it down yeah (laughs) (laughs) but maybe (laughs) well i don't know if he succeeded i don't know if he succeeded on purpose but he definitely succeeded at whatever he was trying to do (laughs) what i I like baudrillard's take that america willed that it willed it unconsciously to happen yeah i mean in a lot of ways it it had been decades of us basically saying like yeah we're bored america was bored yeah. Exactly. What? The nineties. I think, were Osa- too boring. I think yeah. Osama knew America was bored. Yeah. He pr- he single yeah. also single handedly proved tele- teleology yeah. is is real. <laughs> the reason why we don't have another nine eleven is because America was bored, and Osama yeah. could empathize with America's boredom, and then he provided us nine eleven. Um, Inshallah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, he was very. <laughs> He was very in touch with quote unquote Western culture. If you look at the contents of his hard drive, it's like there's a ton of like movies and video games and stuff on there from like the last 30 years. Like Osama had his, as, had his finger on the pulse of American culture as much as like any teenager living in New York. Are we going to, do you think China, my thought about China is that China sent the seeds to say they seeded us with coronavirus as like a, <laughs> a do you think they're very metaphorical like that. They like a lot of Chinese insults. No, really, Chinese yeah, insults are very it. metaphorical. I, I think they might have like pwned us. And <laughs> I still I, think that the United States military covertly dispersed the COVID uh, virus in China in an attempt to to make international relations more hostile. But that's my that's just my tin yeah, no. conspiracy. I mean, I don't. I I I feel like all I have is the American obvious line. It's like came from the bat suit, the pango. Yeah, right. but who knows you never know the coronavirus is the real it's the cut of the real it's it's, it's a it's a dang pandemic is what it is <laughs> it's a god the god dang plan i honestly was talking to myself in the car like that i'm talking like this now but i heard on npr that the barrel horse racing got canceled and they had this girl who was like a freshman in college uh and i was literally talking to myself in my car yesterday going it's like they canceled my barrel racing that's that's the gosh dang pandemic they don't care about what real Americans <laughs> care about. <laughs> Sorry. I, 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 mean, I, I grew up I in Texas not. and I have seen. I know, I know. Fuck. <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah. I bet I was watching uh, Eastbound and Down with my current roommate. And love that like, show. It's such like Kenny Powers is an amalgam of like so many people that like, of, including my father, my own father, who was like, Kenny Powers is just like an, like a, uh, a character of my dad in a sense but also like this amalgam of different fucking weird central texas rural people that are like it'd blow your mind if you saw some of these people in action <laughs> now why if one strives for freedom out of love for the eye why not choose the eye itself as beginning middle and end am i not worth more than freedom am i not the one who makes myself free am i not the first even unfree even in a thousand fetters, still I am, and I do not like freedom, only exist as a future thing in hopes, but even as the most degraded slave, I am also more master slave dialectic. I think we kind of like went through this earlier. I think, John, you mentioned this specific passage, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. I mean, this is just a, yeah, this is a bit of him being like, 
you know, if, if, if there's a recognition that ultimately you're doing everything for yourself anyway, then why not just live in that recognition? Why not, instead of running away from that as an uncomfortable truth, just sit yourself, situate Lean yourself in it, it yeah. and, and become comfortable in it. It almost reminds me of um, Camus' kind of absurdity and like the radical acceptance i think sterner wants you to like radically accept that you are you do everything for yourself ultimately freedom only teaches get get yourselves rid relieve yourselves of everything burdensome it does not teach you who you yourselves are yeah and this is this is the passage i was talking about earlier where he he equates freedom to being rid of things freedom is essentially freedom from freedom is lacking yeah freedom is the lack of freedom well and and well, freedom is almost like a, a yeah. It's it's a jettisoning of things. It's freedom saying, is lack, no and lack is desire people. itself, right? Right. Ergo, America is the greatest country on earth because it's because it's it is equi- Freedom is equivalent to desire itself. Ergo, we have Trump and the gosh dang pandemic. And the gosh dang pandemic. <laughs> This quote I really love, particularly the way that it ends. Thousands of years of civilized culture have obscured what you are to you, have made you believe that you are not egoist, but called to be idealists, good people. Shake that off. Don't seek for freedom, which just (laughs) deprives you of yourselves in self-denial, but rather seek yourselves, become egoist, and each one of you become an almighty I. I feel like I could, again, I can like, I could see Lacan fucking saying something like this. Well, Lacan would say the I is your the problem with the I. He says the conception of the I is your conception of yourself is inaccurate. <laughs> but the I, but the I is a stand place for this for the singularity of self yeah. beyond the beyond signification. I think there's there might be a contradiction between Lacan and yeah and the Stirner here because like the idea that we are symbolically bound immediately versus. That there is this there is this idea of I, which nonetheless uh, persists, even though it right. resists, it hashtag resists, and yet she persisted. <laughs> this I. <laughs> so, like the I, why when we reflect on the I, does it give us an imaginary self, or does it give us the self? I think you know, like the imaginary, like the Lacanian imaginary, is. I think Zizek challenges it, although he wouldn't put it this way. The ima- like Lacan would say the imaginary is a false version of the symbolic and gives us a false image of ourself, and that's why our ego is incorrect. But, you know, what Zizek would say in terms of his reality of the virtual, I think kind of reinvigorates the imaginary in some sense, which is the virtual or the, the, the I once again has power. It once again has force um, because there is a reality of the imaginary. There is a real of the imaginary. There's like a symbolic of the imaginary within the imag- within um, the image in terms of why are things, why is the image this and not, and not um, you could say the unconscious. There's always like this Freudian problem, which is like, why is the unconscious content more important than the conscious content, right? It's, they, they, they exist simultaneously and they affect right. each other. But, you know, to say the unconscious right. content is simply the goal, it, it seems... It's silly to say that conscious content is simply the goal. It just is almost like nonsense. Right. It's, it's, these are like, it's just elements. These are like elements. Yeah. I like, yeah, I like Sterner and his eye, you know, his eye, eye idea. <laughs> I like this bit 
the call for freedom rings out loudly all around, but does one feel or know what a bestowed or imposed freedom has to mean? People don't recognize in the complete fullness of the world that all freedom is essentially self-liberation, i.e. that I can only have as much freedom as I get through my ownness. Boom. I mean, I think we already... It's a bit of a syntactical issue, right? It's like if, if your freedom is granted by somebody else, then you're only free to have it in so far as they've granted it like allowed it, you yeah. it's still a uh, a subservience to a higher order of things it's like oh i've been granted this freedom it's like you can't be granted freedom you can only take freedom you're you know haunted you? otherwise it's um yeah yeah you're don't be haunted by the thing which grants you freedom very difficult task yeah How, well, i mean it goes it, back to that like, pop, um, yeah escape from drudgery thing i was talking about earlier yeah. like if your escape from drudgery becomes its own drudgery then you've escaped nothing you know yeah it does become its own drudgery you get you get so used to drudgery into melancholy and malaise <laughs> that you yep. that you always look for something to haunt you man do not do not see the, <laughs> what is it man your head is haunted. You have wheels in your head. You've got bats in your belfry. <laughs> you yeah, got bats in your belfry. <laughs> Which is is proof that Sterner was a Joker guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, without a doubt. That that's I, undeniable. I am pretty like I'm. I'll have to dig up the script for like the uh, Tim Burton '89 Batman, but he tell. I feel like fucking Nicholson Joker does say something about bats in the belfry. That that like church tower climax he i know he does i've seen that movie like a hundred times <laughs> if not more i don't know it might be good to like read this and kind of hammer home this point for the for the listeners so i will read this gigantic paragraph on the other hand onus is my whole essence and existence it is myself i am free from what i am rid of owner of what i have in my power what I control, I am at all times and under every circumstance my own. If I know how to have myself and do not waste myself on others, being free is something that I cannot truly will because I can't make it. I cannot create it. I can only wish for it and strive for it because it remains an ideal, a phantasm. The fetters of reality cut the sharpest welts in my flesh at every moment, but I remain my own. Given over in bondage to a master, I think only of myself and my advantage. His blows indeed strike me. I am not free from them, but I endure them only for my benefit, perhaps to deceive him and make him feel safe with my sham of patience, or again, to avoid rousing anger against myself through my insubordination. But because I keep an eye out for myself and my self-interest, I grab the first good opportunity by the forelock and crush the slave owner that I bay then become free from him and his whip is only the result of my earlier egoism. Here someone might say that I was free even in the condition of slavery that is in myself or inwardly, but free in oneself is not actually free and inwardly is not outwardly. That's the line. That's the line I love right there. But free in oneself is not actually free and inwardly is not Outwardly. outwardly like i can i can state yeah. my inner world all i want and convince myself that i'm free in any conditions that i want it's not going to actually make me free it's not going to give me any agency or give me any you know uh freedom from responsibility or oppression out in the actual world 
also once once you're outwardly free you might not recognize it if you always think you're inward everything's an inward you know ideal that's like vonnegut vonnegut was very much like that he he, he didn't believe in the outside vonnegut was a man of the interior interior world uh you know he he was like sirens of titan is an ode to interiority you know you know once we technology has given us out to the outside and here uh and you know all of this is the outside but now we go now we must go inside for our freedom no nay absolutely not <laughs> yeah i mean only to to be so lucky to be a person whose only freedom they feel lacking is in their internal world. I, I would give anything to be in that position, <laughs> you know, like what a, what a luck, what a, what a wonderful problem to have. Yeah. I'll have to reread the si- sirens of Titan through that lens. Well, that, that's the very, that's I the, yeah, well, that's the very, as a teenager. Yeah. I read it not long. I read it within the last like three or four years. And I didn't quite, I didn't like it that much. I don't really like, the more um do you do audible do you do audible cooper no no i read the old-fashioned way my friend i like when someone reads to me (laughs) call me a big fat baby i can't i don't (laughs) i don't absorb the material in the same way if i listen to an audiobook Uh, i have to like i have to see the words to I prefer my fiction in audiobook form, yeah. but if I'm going to read nonfiction or theory or history or something, I feel like I really need to have yeah. the book in front of me so I can trace yeah. back over paragraphs. Exactly. And I have to. I have to take stuff. the text. I take the text and I make it my property first. I can't. <laughs> if it's someone else that's trying to enforce, that's trying to give me property, then I don't own it. Yeah, you want the you want the the cadence. I have to. The, I have to say. I have to. I personally have to. Own. To be your own. <laughs> exactly. Actually, do you guys mind if I go to the restroom real quick? Take a quick break. No, yeah, pee, take a second. Need a pee break. Yeah. All right. I'll I'll just talk about what a good name Cooper is while you're gone. <laughs> well, I I paused the recording so you can say whatever. Oh, you, you paused it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You can pause recordings. What can't technology do? I know it's it does everything these days. Yeah. I've been recording podcasts for like the last two years, and uh-huh. I've recorded on so many different platforms now. I I couldn't even tell you which people are like, "What platform should I use to record my podcast?" I'm like, "There's so many." Just yeah. one. <laughs> <They're all the same>. <laughs> <laughs> what What is the beep beep lettuce podcast about? <laughs> uh bp bp lettuce is just like we go over current events and we crack jokes about it uh and then we come at uh our political and social analysis from the point of view of uh basically like stoner communists mm. um so i think everybody on the show is like some form of anti-capitalist i'm more anarchist Bryn is more marxist everybody else is somewhere in between but um yeah it's just it's just goofy goofy news kind of stuff it's like um a less liberal chapo trap house is how mm. i've heard it been described before interesting it's a good bit of fun we have yeah. we have fun doing it i'm constantly surprised that we're kind of popular like that blows my mind that people really yeah it's interesting yeah it is three it, of my stone friends 
Yeah, it, it's interesting how the internet works like that. You don't really know, you don't really see the people necessarily listening to your stuff, but then you see that you know there's a couple thousand people listening or a couple hundred people, depending depending on yeah, if you're like you or the me. Discord server <laughs> filled up. Yeah. Well, there's like there's like a community that that builds that builds on itself too. Like there's there's a whole community of people from the Discord server and from the Facebook group and everything who aren't directly involved with the podcast, mm. but like to me they've become almost as much a part of the show and like the community around the show as anybody who's actually on the show so it's it's a little weird and interesting but it's also kind of funny because i spent years like almost 10 years trying to be successful at music at drumming and producing electronic music and doing all this different stuff and i tried so hard and lost a bunch of money and like flailed in the wind and then I joined this podcast because somebody asked me to, and I was like, yeah, fuck it. Why not? And then this thing I fell ass backwards into ended up being wildly more successful than the stuff I really tried at. (laughs) Well, also, I mean, the technology around getting podcasts to people and getting opinions to people, you know, I, like I said, like kind of cynically, it's like, why, why make art when you can make addictive art? Yeah, right. No, <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, all these, all these algos feed into each other. And you, you know, like, I, cause I was making a web comic before social media and that shit was, you know, message okay. famous comic creators. You like talk with them, you try to get in the, you know, they're like, they'll like show one of your things and link to your website. But like versus social media, it's right. like a different ball game entirely. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cooper, do you agree that the Facebooks is crazy? <laughs> The, yeah. the Twitters, the and the and the social medias. I mean, I love Bird app is true. I love my Twitter. You know that. Mind. Like I fucking, <laughs> I post like a hundred times a day at minimum. Yeah. You know, I'm having a bad day when I haven't posted at least fifty times. <laughs> yeah, you always have some funny Twitter. I'm not. Yeah, it's like Twitter's like the you have to you have to be like interesting in like two sentences. I like actually had a good tweet, even though yeah. only. I feel like I like I finally made a good tweet, even though only six people liked it. But I was like, "Oh, this is a good tweet." Protestantism was the original Brexit. Good tweet. Ah. Good tweet. <laughs> I like. I I never think I have a good tweet, but that was like, "Oh, that's a good one. That That'll make a, really a good, good tweet. tweet." I'm gonna go read. Oh yeah, that Joe, right the, now. Uh, at one I said said Joe did good in the debate, but I think I'll just write in Ted Kaczynski. You know, that you <laughs> I saw that one. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> like I'm getting better at that. Better at the sentence long tweet form. My brain is slowly dissolving into porridge. <laughs> I, it's just pure, whatever, unconscious, <laughs> machinic, unconscious, fucking just turning it's out shit. That, it's good that your, your hardwiring works that way. Cause that's not the case for myself. <laughs> I'm a pattern re- I'm a pattern recognition savant. Like I just recognize patterns in in words or in things or like that's that's what I'm good at is just noticing things like whether it be like syllables in a word or like sounds or that stuff it just I don't know. It just comes. It comes to me. It comes it the outside is get gets in and then it, you know what I mean? I don't know. There's those intense, it's intensities maybe that I have to like get out. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Mm. But, uh, yeah, like, it's a passion. Would, would you buy a mug that said tweeting is my passion? Yes. <laughs> I could grab, I have my, I have a big mug that I got that says something about eat something about podcasting. Hold on. 
Oh, by the way, actually, you'll you'll both love this. Check out my throw pillows that I got. <laughs> you got Fang New in a throw pillows. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's those algorithm things that they can print whatever on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you're yeah. like, oh, I'll get the throw pillows. <laughs> that's epic. <laughs> Imagine you're a Twitter analytics machine and you see that Nick Land is trending and you're like, oh, I got to <laughs> market yeah. these fanged Numina pillows and t-shirts to all these Twitter users. I wonder if that's how it happened with the Hegel dress. You know, you have you seen the, you've seen the picture of the, the oh, phenomenon. Yeah. I bet that <laughs> some like Twitter analytic determined that people wanted Hegel dresses. And then you have these good, like from my own theory, I would say, the, pr- the production of a singular molecular thing of enjoyment. Like that's, I think that's, I like your, I think that's why your accounts, like you, they're unique. Like you say, your pattern recognition savant, like the, your combination of things are very, they're very appealing. I think to theory heads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing unconscious dialectics because I'm doing, I'm pointing out contradiction. I think Ultim- yeah. maybe that's what the ultimate like thing is. I don't know. Yeah. But I, you know, I honestly, what I get out of talking with, talking with y'all is like, it, it might make a cool, it makes a cool podcast. It's kind of nice knowing people are like kind of interested, but mostly it's just like, we're talking about some cool stuff. It's like a reading group. We're going through it. Yeah. Talking about cool stuff. Yeah. Yep. That's like, it's like very, um, it's very meaningful for me and very fulfilling um, in terms of like, you know, to find things that are like interesting. Even if, even if I'm just like a guy in a corner of a library talking about it, you know, in a reading group or we're talking about it, it's, 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 it's cool. And right. it's easy because we have this particular interest and, in, and in these, these particular thinkers, you know, it's very cool that we can do this. All right, cool. I am. Right. I want to get into this next quote or next couple of quotes. Maybe I should read them in combination because it's, it's getting into this concept of the inhuman, which. I'm pretty fascinated with, but what concept is highest for the state? Surely to be a truly human society, a society in which everyone who is really a human being, i.e. not an inhuman monster, can gain admittance as a member. No matter how far state tolerance goes, it stops at the inhuman monster and what is inhuman. It is not all that hard to say in plain words what an inhuman monster is. It is a human being who doesn't correspond to the concept human being, as the inhuman is something human that doesn't fit the concept of human. Logic calls this a nonsensical judgment. Would one be able to make this judgment that one can be a human being without being a human being if one did not admit to the hypothesis that the concept of the human being can be separated from existence, that the essence could be separated from the appearance? They say, indeed, he appears to be human being, but he is not human being. That's very interesting, right? How much of this goes back to 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 start in the sense of like, what is he saying about? Because we're talking about where was it? Well, he's like he's talking about inhumanity, right? So he's saying like, in society, there if you don't conform to the ideal of a human being, then it's very easy for people to judge you as not human being even though materially quite obviously you never stopped being a human being you're just a human being who did things that people are socially conditioned to understand as monstrous or you know non non human yeah. in, like in, in like insurrection yeah and you're and you're no longer 
serving the abstract ideal of humanity to them, even if in your own way, like, it, you know, if you foment an insurrection for the quote unquote sake of humanity, you're still violating the, the ideal of humanity of people who would prefer to continue with the same society they have. Which is like the perfect example of the contradiction within, I don't know, I love this contradiction within liberalism that Sterner like is always like, he's fucking picking at it. He just goes in and in and in on it. Um, because yeah, like if you take that and apply that in the context of like the George Floyd scenario again, it, it applies in so many different facets. Like it could apply to Floyd, Floyd himself. It could apply to the, you know, whomever like the, I mean, the pol- go ahead. The police involved. I mean, that's the thing is like uh, people will try and say like, oh, what the police did was, was so inhuman and was so monstrous and everything. It's like, well, it was awful. Yeah. It was uncalled for. It was unjustified. It was, it was all of these things. It was, it was terrible. It was God awful. But to say it's not a human action is to deny the fact that like humans can be evil and miserable and, and violent and destructive creatures just in the same way that, you know, there's another angle of it where they would try and say like, Oh, George Floyd, you know, he was a drug addict or he had, you know, uh, a gun in his car or whatever. And like, regardless of the truth of those statements, the important thing is that they're an attempt to try and dehumanize him and make his pain and, and suffering seem less important. From the people who would try to say that, let's try to like hold up the virtue of feels over reels. They will like, go through any number of different like fucking um haunted little hoops to jump through there was a portion in the second paragraph that i thought was going back to our like sart would one be able to make this judgment that one can be a human being without being a human being if one did not admit the hypothesis that the concept of human being can be separated from the existence that the essence could be separated from the appearance they say indeed he appears to be a human being but he is not a human being so I don't know, maybe I'm just being too literal in this mention of of like existence and essence <laughs> so close together. Well, I mean in the context of like you were talking about Floyd George Floyd. I mean it's it's like the human the the problem is it was uncanny humanness. It was like he was casually putting his knee on his neck, right? And it was it was very human bureaucratic day to day. So it was very human, but it was off. Right. So it's not that it was inhuman, right. it, was it was that like, it was so human that it all, like the humanness, the quote-unquote humanness led to his death. I am actually the human being and right. the inhuman monster in one because I am human being and at the same time more than a human being. I am the eye of this, my mere quality. I love that because I am human being right. at the same time more than a human being some good dialectical shit right there Well, because it's like if i'm a human being then there's also this i that has a relationality to the human being which means that i'm not entirely the human being i'm also existing in this unhuman space like it's and you can almost do that for any definition of yourself right like it's like i'm john but i'm also more than just john so i'm also the unjohn that exists in this kind of space of exteriority that Without which the split subject, you know, again, being yeah. John wouldn't mean anything. Yeah, that's really interesting. I like this this next couple of or 
passage that I'm going to read, I think this really goes to this, like is even pushing further in the con, like if you're thinking in the context of the George Floyd scenario in the state, if the state must count on our humanity, then it's the same when one says it must count on your morality to see the humanity in each other and to act as human beings towards each other. This is called moral behavior. Yeah. Morality. That's a great dialectic yeah. observation. Morality is not. Say we must be. We must all be moral. We are reliant on your others' morals. Oh God, <laughs> awful. <laughs> Furthermore, morality is not compatible with egoism because it doesn't accept me, but only the humanity in me. But if the state is a society of human beings, not a union of eyes, each of whom only looks out for himself, then it cannot exist without morality and must attach importance to morality. So the state must be to have a state means that the state has to be moral, the morality of the state. Well, and the state must rely on the morality of its citizens, right? So it has to figure out a way to get them to perpetuate its own systems through themselves. And so in regarding, you know, yeah, so so as a society, regarding the the subject, of that society, yeah, and and so, yeah, exactly. And so in regarding them as a society of human beings, that distills them down to this kind of essentialist idea of what they are, which is quite easy to work with in the the calculus of governance. But if you were to instead regard them as a an ocean of of different unique eyes, each with their kind of uh, difficult to describe qualities and aspects and, and shifting kinds of uh, internality, then you no longer have this framework of morality through which a state can perpetuate itself. So the state must necessarily flatten out into an identity the the actual kind of um, irreducible complexity of, of each of its subjects. There's something there well, I mean, in terms of like how the state operates there, there, with identity. There's a problem... The thing with Antifa is like everybody wants to think it's an organization that you belong to and right. that you like place above yourself. And even in its simple operation of like, just like state, Antifa right? is not an organization, it's just an ideology, it's just a thing that you can do. Like people don't have, they're not ready to wrap their heads around that because it's hard for people to imagine something that you would willingly partake in, but that you don't consider like a pillar of your ideology or a right. pillar of, of your, your identity. identity. Um, yeah. Your identity it's like is the not willingness to in. casually, yeah, the people can't conceive of the willingness to casually pick up anti-fascism and then put it back down and then pick it back up again later without becoming inextricably, you know, married to it or controlled by it or have it become like a fervent kind of obsession that, that rules all of the other arenas of your life. Yeah. I mean, more broadly, it's like just identity period, even just beyond Antifa. Mm-hmm. Like there ha- there's, has to be... You can't just have a transient I. Well, everybody wants to be like, oh, we're the proletariat. We're the working class. We're this. We're the underclass. We're, you know, whatever. And it's like, I always liked that. Uh, who was the quote where, where they're like, we are syndicalists on the shop floor. And, you know, we are, we are Leninists in the, the courtroom. We are green anarchists in the wilderness. And it's like, you just are what you are in, in your given situation. And trying to marry yourself to this to to this thing and become inextricably bound to it is just not specter. not productive. So fantastic. Yeah, it's it's a specter. Yeah. It's an it's an inhibition. Yeah. This next quote is really dank. This is maybe my favorite one so far. Therefore, the two of us, 
the state and I are enemies. For me, the egoist, the welfare of this human society is not in my heart. I sacrifice nothing to it. I only use it. But to be able to use it completely, I transform it into my property, my creation. In other words, I destroy it and in its place form the Association of Egoists. National Association of Egoists. The The contradiction. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, I mean, I think the problem with an association of egoists is like, you know, to what? Tell us the problem. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think think ultimately what you're saying is people that are non-contradictory. So it's like there's nothing necessarily to associate with. Like, uh... Like ultimately, you don't. The other person doesn't need to be an egoist for you to associate with them, and in some extent. So it's like you don't even need an association of egoists. Like to what extent? I mean, it's it. It, it might be nice. I think maybe it's maybe it is nice. It's like kind of a, a nice idea, right? But all but but uh. Maybe it's just like a higher form of being or something like. Our pot like this right. this podcasting is like it's like a chiller form of being because there's because it's less well, it's less uh, hypocritical and contradictory so it's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, what are Sterner's great uh, examples of like uh, an association or a, a union of egoists? He gives two, I think, which is like children who pick up a game spontaneously with each other in the street and then disperse after the game is over, or like two friends who see each other in a bar and decide to have a sit down with each other and have drinks just because it would make each of their, their day better. And it's like, yes, that's, that's, that's simply the best kind of social relation you could ever ask for, but trying to build like a, I don't know, a positive political program on that. You're presented with some very serious challenges. I mean, to, to not be, I wonder if you could, you know, going back to the idea of even if something liberates you to not be haunted by it. Starting there, I think a lot. Of, I think the left could obviously learn from that. I think the right doesn't need help knowing that <laughs> to some extent. <laughs> maybe in terms of like, I feel like the right is more de-spooked a lot of the times regarding like the thing that liberates you to have no fidelity to it, which they already don't. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the people I, in, at the top of the right are like cynical opportunists, right? Like they're not the true believers of whatever ideology they're espousing. They're the ones who are cashing the checks and balancing the books. But I think on the, I don't the give left, the actual left, not like the, the, well, that's the thing. But I think on the left, you have people who like believe all the way up to the top and like, that's good. I think you should actually believe in what you're doing, but I don't think that we have as well-developed of a sense of cynicism <laughs> yeah. about our ourselves and our actions as the right does. I think the right is spooked by these categories of knowledge in terms of what are your goals? Who are you? Like they're like imminently, there is no, right. there is no I, it's very difficult to get to the I. Even if you go to like the, the, the hyper libertarian sort of, sort of idea. Let me, let me think about that. Do hyper libertarians understand the I? I don't know. So if you look at um, no. I don't know. I think I think they have a naive understanding of it, right? Like that they have an instinctive, it, yeah. like they they yeah. have the compulsion to like kick back against authority and stuff, but they don't. They haven't thought through how effective they're being in actually escaping. Yeah, well, look, yeah, looking at um, say like McAfee, I was like, does McAfee, the man on the run from the United States, understand the eye? Not really, because he's always, although you know, he is a, he is he not an enemy of the state, like Sterner says. 
<laughs> he's I mean, he's he literally is, yeah. the enemy of the state. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. It seems very like a reactive kind of kind of idea. He doesn't he doesn't dis- discard the state necessarily. He's still like consumed by the state's yeah. hauntings, right? He's like even running for president as like a libertarian. Yeah. Yeah. So he's still haunted like, by the state. Even in standing in opposition. Yeah. Exactly. Even in standing in opposition to it, the type of opposition that he stands against it in is still totally ruled by it. Like it still uses all of the the inputs from the state. He's still letting the state dictate the conversation. He's just acting as its opposite. Yeah. Um, the idea that the I gold standard will do something real... very good for I, for you, for yeah, right, <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, I have this idea that capitalism is more collectivist or the capitalism is collectivist in the context of like of the individual or the I from a very like Darwinian gnon sort of perspective, this push towards like acceleration, like in the sense of like propagating life, probably a dumb, it's like a dumb strategy, but like dumb strategies sometimes work, you know, it's not a smart thing. It's yeah, a dumb, it's absolutely. A, gnon is a fucking idiot. <laughs> Well, what's the, I think lib, what's liberating about, say, like Nick Land's libertarianism, not the racist HBD stuff, but the idea of capitalism accelerating, right, is that you don't, that there's something that compounds on itself that frees you from the idea of the human. Like that you, you don't have to worry about the idea of the human. Right. And I think Sterner says that you don't, you know, the human idea is kind of, but then land goes and he says, you don't have to worry about the human because you're so, you're so determined by the acceleration of capital and technology and intelligence that, you know, the human, not only he kind of has this, you know, not only can you not identify with the human, but you don't even have a chance, whatever, whatever is human will be crushed. And that's kind of like, that's kind of like a nice idea. Yeah. Right. Nothing human makes it out alive. <laughs> yeah. The next whatever. This is this is a nice idea. <laughs> <laughs> a nice idea. Yeah. Uh, because you know the human does haunt. You could say it it haunts people to a certain extent, right? Even even things we would want, even things we would want to see in the world, which logically makes sense, like the good cause. All all thing you know what is not to be my concern, the good cause, right? Uh, so we're all left-leaning. Let's, you know, start there. <laughs> what is not to be my concern, the good cause? Whoa. So hold up. <laughs> this was like the first question I asked Dr. Bones. And, you know, it always goes back to unionizing, you know, the union of egoists, yada, yada, yada. But like going back to like land, I think that that's where the machinic unconscious comes in that you're talking about, which is there's what are these forces that are pulling us, right? And then how can that, how does, how does the nothing relate to the forces? How does the eye relate yeah. to the forces? Yeah. Right. Capital does reach back and determine us from the future to a certain extent. I had this very brilliant quote today, or post rather. It was, uh, men desire, but they do not make their own desires or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in order to make our desires, we have to yeah. have desires that precede desire, right? So, it was a riff on that Marx quote, too. Like, 
men make history, but they do not make it as they see fit or something like that. Right. But yeah, really they do like not that. consciously make history. Right. You make, that's a great thought. I like that idea. I think it's Landian as well, right? You, you will make history, but you will not choose how you make history. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. That's, a <laughs> yes. nice, that, that's a nice thought. I like this. It's a bit deterministic <laughs> though, I think. But I don't know, maybe that's the... Well, it's not deterministic. It's also, I think it's psychoanalytical in terms of you will, you will create something, but you will not be able to consciously, mindfully sow. There will be no you know, teleological. you're trying to sow. Yeah, there's no yeah. teleological like coherence. Yeah. Yeah, the best laid plans of uh, dialecticians. The, lines, <laughs> the <laughs> line of flight can break either way, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I am not at liberty to declare myself the entitler, the mediator, and my own self. Then it goes like this. My power is my property. My power gives me property. My power am I myself, and through it, I am my property. My power am I myself, and through it, I am my property. That's such an awkward wording. Yeah, I know. Thank, thank you, Wolfie, for that new translation. The use of am. Yeah. <laughs> my power is my property. My power gives me property. My power am. My power am I myself. And I am my that, power. But, but that's not, you know. <laughs> it, that, to fetishize power itself. I guess power, but I mean, this is like all the war against all against all is declared by Sterner, right? So he's a, he's a proto-Habesian in that sense. You know, it's, it's interesting if you go back and you read, um, you read like Hume. Hume is like, like very different than conversation, like pre-Kant. It's great to read pre-Kant and, and um, hear like these sort of uh, people arguing amongst themselves. Bit of a time travel device. Also I like to a different, Hume quite a bit. Yeah, me too. Um, and then to sort of get my power is my property. My power gives me property. My power am I myself and through it. I am my property. The thing like what's Hume, Hume kind of reminds me is like, but then why do I need power? What's the cause of this necessity of power? And I think maybe that goes back to causation is a spook. (laughs) Causation is not a spook. Um, I don't think, I mean, the identification of causation. I mean, for you, Hume is skeptical about causation, right? The whole, isn't that the whole is ought sort of, or that's more like ethics, I guess, but. I think Hume, yeah, Hume, critically analyzes causation but i think he's very he, he definitely goes through causation and the and trying to find the cause of things as well so he, he analyzes causal thinking in the first place but also then he he tracks things for the cause so it's like my power my power am i myself and through it i am my property so it goes back to like sterner talking about being ruled over right the person who says they can rule over you and your subject and say they rule over me is you both proved your legitimacy. Right. And that's his, that's right. his kind of, you know, brutal, brutal take or edgy take, whatever. Um, so yeah, power in this world is real. It, you can move through the world out outward into the world through power, I think. And also you have control over, uh, you know, things of value. Right. Um, yeah. There's a tautology here too, because my power is my property. My power gives me property. Without property, yeah. I have no power. Without my power, I have no property. Without myself, if I don't own myself, 
then I don't have power. I have to own myself to have power and pro- like that's a, I don't know. To say I am my property is a bit spooked, honestly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't well, know you, about this Wolfie. You can, take, you can take yourself in as your own property, but then that causes a division. Yet, it, like, There's never a completed process of taking yourself as yeah. your own property, right? Because it causes a new... There's always a It gap. causes its own issue again, yeah. Well, it also causes a less efficient... You, you lose immediacy when you say, I am my own property versus like, right. boom, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so it is true. It is true. I think maybe in the net, in the sense of what does saying you are your property free you of, and you can say maybe all things which you know all all things which you should submit yourself to. It's like I don't need once I recognize I am my own property, I will not submit myself to the commands of this or that. Right. You know, phantasm. I like right. this quote about the state. Every state is a despotism. Not exactly super deep, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> every state is a despotism whether the despot be one or many or as some like to imagine a republic all be lords i.e play the despot over each other this is the case every time when a given law the will expressed perhaps in the opinion of a popular assembly should be from then on law for the individual to which he owes obedience or towards which he has the duty of, obe- of obedience Uh, yeah, this is good. This is just like stating a bit of like, you know, no matter how democratic your democracy is, it's still a despotism state, of <laughs> many over many others, you know. Um, and there's a there's a reifying force that comes along with that where it convinces you through its own seeming legitimacy that you need to be obedient uh, and, exp- and and operate in the duty of obedience towards it to perpetuate it when really there's nothing compelling you to do that except your own kind of like duped desire to perpetuate the system that the system itself has has given you it reminded me a lot of that Deleuze quote about uh there being no such thing as leftist governments only governments that are could be i don't know useful to the left or something like that oh yeah only against a sacred thing are there criminals. You can never be a criminal against me, but only an opponent. Crimes ri- arise from fixed ideas. Well, also the idea of the left is a fixed idea. <laughs> Not yeah. to go there, but Absolutely. like, you know, Kaczynski 101. You know? Yeah. <laughs> what, is it, what does it mean to be the left? I would say you generally want humanity... I would say generally alignment with enlightenment ideology is a lot of the left. Like in terms of in the democratic world, oh, it's yeah, like, are, are you a God man or are you an enlightenment yeah. science man? Right. right. Enlightenment science man is you're of the, the left for like all well, intents and purposes. On, even on like the far anti-capitalist left, you still have a lot of people who are essentially drawing from that kind of like enlightenment idea of like modernity and progress and uh historical telos that we're all kind of moving unevenly towards and uh i think there's a lot of holes in that that go unaddressed in the 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 kind of leftist milieu online like most most people are still enthusiastic about the concept of humanism yeah absolutely yeah without a doubt you know, it's interesting, though, the concept of left and right gets 
you know, it gets, they get unified within the state's own designs, right? So it's like, uh, we must bomb this country because, uh, you know, this, this reason and that reason. And, you know, they're a threat here because if we don't have control over this or this, or, or, you know, because they're, you know, dirty, whatever, whatever's right. So, but ultimately (laughs) they get submitted to their state. The last quote we'll look at from page 220. The last and most resolute conflict that of unique against unique is at bottom beyond what is called conflict, but without having sunk back into unity and consensus. As unique, you are no longer have anything in common with the other, and therefore also nothing divisive or hostile. You don't seek to be in the right against him before a third party, and stand with him neither on the ground of right nor any other common ground. The conflict disappears in complete divergence or uniqueness. I kind of like this because it it makes me think of like, you know, the narcissism of small differences where it's like if you and somebody else have the same aims and subscribe to a broad theory of something, but then you have a few little differences in your opinion, that can be the thing that like sparks the most fire under your argument compared to somebody you might entirely disagree with right off the bat. And I like this kind of version of this from Sterner where it's like if we're all acting as if we live in this kind of like unity and consensus then we're going to get really really upset when somebody else breaks from that but if we Uh, come to each other as totally unique beings and in our absolute difference there is no you know there is no flattened kind of unity or similarity for us to diverge on then our differences no longer bother us and it becomes easier for us to take each other in just simply as we are I think that's interesting in the context of, I forget who, which sociologist. It'd be a shame if the erotic was unity, though. Mm, Eros. <laughs> it's like, so that's, that's, you know, that's where you could say where, where uh, psychoanalytic principle distorts it is like, well, it'd be nice to be individuals and, you know, and then cleanly look at this, but then ultimately the, the combining the, you then go into unity and then you're subject to that unity, the rules of that unity, mm-hmm. the symbolic of the unity, right? As anyone who's ever had a partner uh, knows. Yeah. And despite my fedora, I have, <laughs> I have held a girl's hand with her. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, Not to brag. You know, this, this kind of reminded me of something from sociology where it's like, this dialectic of mechanical versus organic solidarity among groups. So like in a, in a situation like living in a city is mechanical solidarity because there's a lot more tolerance for difference in a mechanically group, right? Versus like organic solidarity is like a small town. So like the smallest differences will trigger a big conflagration, mm. like the conflicts. Right. Hey, speaking of Ted Kaczynski, not that anyone was, um, <laughs> why do you think he called his, uh, what, called himself Freedom Club? What's the significance in all this freedom talk we're talking about? Egoism versus freedom. I don't know. I don't know. Freedom, <laughs> I don't freedom know. has baggage. Like freedom has the baggage of the enlightenment and the human, the enlightenment humanist, humanist project, right? Like that's, yeah. I think that's it. Yeah, so he's like bringing on some baggage of the humanist project. Is it's he? almost like a deified. It's like a deified concept. Freedom, like freedom, is unquestionably good. Yeah, right. Like mm, no one questions the right. positivity of freedom. 
we've like danced around that sure, idea the whole the whole time. I think that, without like spelling it out. Podcast. That's what makes this podcast exciting, right? Is because we're challenging something that's like a very commonly held base notion. It's kind of like. Um, what was it Engels said about Stirner where he was like, when, when you decry, when you cry down with the state, Stirner calmly shouts down with the laws down also, the laws. Yeah. you know, Such a <laughs> it's like, there's so much further to go, but uh, this kind of like secular humanist enlightenment, liberalism, whatever you want to call it, uh, is very, very good at putting blinders on us beyond a certain point. But yeah, I think, I think that wraps us up in terms of conversation, unless you had something to add, Elliot. What is it? Wait, scroll down. What does it say? It says existential meaningless. Existential meaningless. The cancellation of desire is close with the ideal of the de-spooked conflict. I think we already talked about that. That's a good towards the beginning. In terms of like the yeah, what it's like what I was talking about. It's like when you get two uniques, two divergent souls who are totally unique and free floating, you get existential meaningless at times if you have no combining and then subjecting to the symbolic the lacanian symbolic john i'll let you plug your your stuff so you can get on with your night my friend oh okay uh yeah (laughs) thank you so much for having me again and uh yeah to to all the listeners my name is john paul zigderman you can find me on twitter at facebook villain you can listen to my other shows beep beep lettuce and work stoppage anywhere that podcasts are available um and sometimes i stream on twitch twitch.tv slash bp pod uh i think that's all the things thank thank you again for having me this was a delightful conversation hell yeah i appreciate it you've been great my friend you yep. having you yeah it was it was it was good good and i like this uh this grouping here to talk about ego it was it was it was definitely cool you know i, mean, I you two are some I, of my favorite. I, I people definitely say I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to listen. Yeah, I'm gonna have to listen to your podcast, John. And then I think people should right. subscribe to your uh, Patreon. Although I need, to, I need to check That's out your right. Patreon. Yeah. Someone needs to subscribe to my That's Patreon. What I love to hear. They have yeah, fucking yeah. Patreon. I don't have any. <laughs> Do you have zero patrons right no, now? No, I. I have like I don't know, like ten maybe. You have ten. Nice. That's, have, That's not nothing. <laughs> That's not nothing. <laughs> yeah, they're repeating but I every need, month. I need more. More patrons. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to jump in there. It's patreon.com slash M-U-H-H. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah that's it. I'm going to add you to my, I'm going to add you it. to my three and I'll have four people. Yeah. You're going to be my second Patreon subscription yeah. after a hacked Minecraft client that I pay $5 a month. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Elliot, cool. you have any, uh, you want to. Yeah, I got, out? I got the zero books, but there's nothing to fucking buy now. <laughs> Uh, you could you could search the website i i get too excited with the cover i'm like hey check out this cover it's cool (laughs) and they're they're like where can i buy this book i'm like you Uh, can't can't damn sucks (laughs) damn i guess i suck at fucking advertising (laughs) i you know i'm like whatever i don't get me wrong i appreciate people that do that stuff well but you know ultimately i just appreciate talking with y'all about philosophy uh, putting stuff out that's cool, cool theory shit. Talking theory is is based in the <laughs> based in the Tommy Bahama fedora build. Nice. Yeah. This was this was awesome. I had a had a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. I mean, wait. Actually, I take I, I take it I take it back. I take it. I take all what I just said back God because it. it's not good to say <laughs> stuff like that. What I should say is I demand you buy my book. <laughs> there you go. I re- 
zero, you know, the cover so your cool. And, and it's so, it it's such a good, it's such a good commodity. Jesus Christ. Like, I can't believe I made it. I'm so great. I'm just so grateful it's in the world. And, you know, thanks for having me on your podcast. There we go. That's better. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I need a non-depressive symbolic. No, you need there to take go. it, take it like this and say, take my book as your property and make it your own. And yeah, you it. should. That's it. You should. Yeah. You should but, go and go when it comes out in the UK. You should fly to the UK. You should go into the, what's Waterstones <laughs> and go into the Radical Philosophy section and just steal it. <laughs> just steal it and say the author told me to, and uh, you can charge him. Steal if this you book. Want to. Fucking Abby Hoffman over yeah. here. Yeah, steal the book. <laughs> yeah, except I, you know, burn, burn the only steal it, but only if you you read it and. You know what? Just uh, just take a picture. Just just take a picture of the book. I don't know. The point is, commodities are great. You'll love it. And uh, yeah, there we go. Now I'm not undercutting the significance of this uh, trio by undercutting myself dialectically. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th- yeah. This was awesome. You both were fun as hell to talk to. This was a really fun podcast. Uh, but let's see. You can find me also on. Instagram at unconscioushh and Twitter at unconsciousHH. But this is going to be the Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour with Cooper Cherry signing off. The very rules of eating, of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is unconscious. The whole state of things, pure violence without object. This is a typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding here. Thank you.